Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Did you ever have a moment of doubt about capitalism and whether greed's a good idea to run on? What is greed? In the only cases in which the masses have escaped from the kind of grinding poverty you're talking about, the only cases in recorded history are where they have had capitalism and largely free trade. The record of history is absolutely crystal clear that there is no alternative way so far discovered of improving the lot of the ordinary people that can hold a candle to the productive activities that are unleashed by a free enterprise system. But it seems to reward... That was The Economist Milton Friedman being interviewed by Phil Donahue in 1979. For decades, Friedman's ideas on capitalism have dominated economic thought. Let the free market create a thriving society. Let businesses focus on maximizing their profits before all else. This, he argued, is what would improve everyone's quality of life. But what the last 40 years have shown is that these ideas have also brought about a crisis, the greatest income inequality we've seen in generations. That has led some of the most prominent CEOs in the world to argue that capitalism must change. I'm Poppy Harlow, and today on Boss Files, we're talking about the future of capitalism. Someone who has given a lot of thought to this is Mark Benioff, the founder and CEO of Salesforce. I first spoke to Mark about the idea last year, before the coronavirus pandemic. Here's what he told me then. Capitalism is dead. We need a new more sustainable, a more equitable, uh, more fair capitalism. And that means it's a capitalism built on stakeholders, not just shareholders. Their customers, their employees, their partners, those are all stakeholders. The homeless is a key stakeholder. Our public schools are a key stakeholder. The planet is a stakeholder. In the wake of this pandemic, the global economy has all but stopped, resulting in millions of people losing their jobs. The World Bank projects this could cause 60 million people to fall into extreme poverty worldwide. So I invited Mark to come back on the show, and I asked him, so what happens to capitalism now? I'm more optimistic about that than ever in that there is a new capitalism emerging, a more sustainable capitalism, more compassionate capitalism, that this idea that we have companies who are willing to come forward to be part of the solution. Here's my conversation with Salesforce CEO, Mark Benioff. Mark, thank you. Um, I have been wanting to have this conversation with you in-depth, I feel like, for years, and we've sort of nibbled at it here and there in interviews. But today um, is all about the future of capitalism, and I'm I'm just so glad that you're here. So thank you for taking the time. Oh, I'm delighted. Thanks uh, for having me, Poppy. You know, the World Bank just announced, Mark, I'm sure you saw it, that this, this COVID pandemic, 
they think is going to push 60 million people into extreme poverty. And that means living on less than a dollar and 90 cents a day. What do you think when you hear that? Well, this has been such a challenging time for everyone and to see how this has accelerated so many of the issues of social inequality, not just globally, but even locally, you know, my heart breaks for those people. You think about Salesforce, the biggest employer in San Francisco. You also think of sort of the other side of the coin with San Francisco with such a significant homelessness problem. Do you have an obligation as a corporation that is doing pretty well in the middle of, of this to alleviate some of that poverty? Well, Poppy, I think you know that I so strongly believe that business is the greatest platform for change and that businesses have to step up and do more. The business of business is not just business or earnings mm-hmm. per share, like has been articulated by Milton Friedman for you know, so many uh, generations of CEOs. The business of business is improving the state of the world. You, you've really hit on a nerve here when we think about our community as well as our customers, our employees, our partners. All of these stakeholders are critical for a business to serve. You have said for a long time that business is the greatest platform for change. But I wonder if you think, Mark, that in this pandemic, has it not revealed in so many ways that businesses are reliant on good governance. And one could argue that in this pandemic, it's government that has sort of had to be the greatest platform for change. Some have done really well and some some have not. I, I just wonder if it has changed your view on that globally, the role of good governance. Well, governance and I think especially public-private partnerships are more important than ever. Uh, a really good example is what we're doing in the state of Rhode Island. Yeah, I'm sure you know that one of the things that we have to do to fight the virus is wear masks. Another thing is wash our hands. Another thing is social distancing. But there's a fourth thing, which is testing and tracing. That is building a comprehensive testing infrastructure. And then once people are tested, the ability to work with them to understand who else have they been around and trace those contacts through what we call human tracers. So that idea that companies and states have to work together to then kind of identify who else needs to be notified that they might be positive to help extinguish the virus. And in so many places in the world where the virus has already been extinguished, it's been a combination of these four things together that have really made a difference. And that's what we need to be doing here in the United States as well. Well, and and for anyone who hasn't read the New York Times piece on you a few weeks ago, I mean, the fact that you... (laughs) that you, the private industry, had to figure out a way to get planes to go pick up all of this PPE and bring it back to help universities and hospitals in San Francisco that needed it most. I mean, it shows the power of the private sector. It also shows the failure of, of government. I mean, what did you think when you got that call? We've procured more than 60 million pieces of PPE in partnership with UCSF. We've been able to deliver that to more than 300 hospitals and medical organizations around the world. And look, you're right, we're not a government organization, but we had we had no choice but to get involved because we have a deep responsibility to our local uh, community to, to help them. And to, getting a phone call like that, you can imagine my surprise when I'm like, wow, what can I do to help procure PPE? Well, it turned out that I had a relationship with a, a, a friend of mine in China as the CEO of a company called Alibaba, Daniel Zhang. And 
I called him and said, can you help me with this? And from that, you know, we ended up with airplanes landing here in the United States, in the United Kingdom, in, in, in many countries, you know, with this PPE. And that was very powerful. How, Mark, has this crisis made you think about the future of capitalism? From someone who told me last year, and you made waves when you said this, capitalism is dead. And if capitalism was dead in your mind in the middle of a roaring economy, I mean, what is it now? Well, I've seen so many CEOs and so many companies really uh, do things at this time to help others that I'm more optimistic about that than ever in that there is a new capitalism emerging, a more sustainable capitalism, more compassionate capitalism. And you can see that when we look at things like just supplying food in the United States by supplying medical supplies, delivering supply chains. There has been a lot of, a huge case for optimism that has been made uh, through the work of so many CEOs. But you, I mean, big picture though, Mark, you've been able to commit, Salesforce has been able to commit, and you asked other CEOs to commit to no layoffs for 90 days, right? And Bank of America, similar no layoffs this year. But a lot of other companies are laying off a lot of people. And you just look at the latest jobs numbers and you saw it. It's women and it's minorities that are taking the brunt of it. And as we saw in, you know, Jamie Dimon's shareholder letter just a few days ago, you know, saying we have to, this has to be a wake up call for a more inclusive economy. I mean, what is that? What does that really mean? Like, what can you guys at the top of these companies it is mainly men. There are some women as well leading as CEOs. But what can the private sector do? What is the moral responsibility at this point? Well, we've seen dozens of companies take that 90-day no-layoff pledge. And that, that was just one idea that we had that would just provide some stability during the height of the crisis. And look, I think that CEOs have a responsibility to think about what's happening in this moment of time. We have to think about it for our employees. That's number one. We have to think about it for our customers. You know, we've done about 11,000 emergency implementations of Salesforce in 90 days. That was completely unexpected. Um, We've also built a product, work.com, because we we were called on to start to do contact tracing to help these states provide, you know, these networks to let them, you know, inform, inform, Patients and also, you know, the associates of patients, hey, there's been positive tests that have happened. That has been a huge part of our our response. We've also had the community response, like I mentioned, with PPE. There's also a philanthropic response. Companies as platforms, we have the ability to do many different types of things. And I've seen lots of companies do that. What do you think, as you think about the future of capitalism, long, long term, Mark, like even far beyond, you know, when you're leading Salesforce, I mean, when our when our children are leading, leading in this world, um, is this a moment to come out of this crisis where the corner can be turned and capitalism doesn't have to produce such unequal outcomes? I'm not talking about a socialist system. I'm just wondering if you think there is a way where the, the gap can finally be narrowed coming out of this because this has laid bare what, what we knew was there. Well, I think you're really touching on a, a critical point. You know, we've been talking about so many things that are absolutely top of mind right now. Equality is one. Like right here in San Francisco in our mission district, 
you know, we tested every single person in the mission district, 7% um, tested positive for the virus. We also tested just a few miles away, everyone in Bolinas. There was not a single mm-hmm. infection. When it came right down to it, there were a lot of people in multifamily housing and multifamily dormitories and non-English speakers, maybe part. And we saw certain communities emerge that were being a lot more impacted than others. That really just brings to our attention that we, we have a responsibility to directly address that, to communicate more effectively, to provide an environment that gives everybody um, stable housing, for example. That's the responsibility of of, uh, all of us in San Francisco, including our public leaders as well as our private leaders. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Mark tells me more about how he thinks of prioritizing his company's stakeholders, in addition to its shareholders. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. And now more of my conversation with Salesforce founder and CEO, Mark Benioff. Can I ask Mark, you know, I, I getting back to where we started, which was Milton Friedman, and you're part of the business roundtable that obviously completely changed its its mission statement just last year, you know, to create value for all our stakeholders and to move away from the Milton Friedman school of thought. And it 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 made me wonder at what cost. Um, I assume business is pretty good for you guys right now, right? I mean, you can afford to not have these layoffs, et cetera, correct? Well, you know, we have, we're a technology company with a deferred revenue model. So it gives us the ability right. to have a lot more stability and understanding of our business. So we're, we're in a fortunate situation. But as I said, every company is not necessarily in that position. What should those companies do, right? I'm thinking about the big hotel chains. They have a ton of furloughs, for example. And Wall Street's not forgiving. And I just wonder if you believe the, that in a crisis like this, should those CEOs be considering you know, you keep as many people employed as you possibly can, no matter what it costs the company, instead of putting them on 
you know, basically onto the government in terms of unemployment. Who who should they be responsible to, I guess, is my question. T- to Wall Street and, and, and to meeting their numbers? Or, or is something changing in this moment? Well, of course, these are companies and this is capitalism. So there, there is yeah. going to be, they're going to have to be able to stay afloat. They're going to have to have cash flow. They're going to have to be able to pay their employees. And when they don't have income coming in and they don't have cash in the bank, they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do. And so CEOs are going to uh, take action. That's where the government has to come in and support those organizations like they've done with these uh, stimulus efforts. You look at what's happening with the airlines. You look at what's happening with cruise ships. Um, you look at what's happening with the hotels. These are, you know, ex- these are crisis situations for those organizations where customers are not able to use their products anymore. So mm-hmm. how will they... Um, uh, you know, continue to be able to be in business, you know, if they don't have that. We need to extinguish the virus as fast as possible. That's first and foremost, you know, yeah. and then those companies need to get back back in business. And the country is going to have to be, and the government is going to have to be part of the solution. I was reminded, um, reading just a few days ago, this Harvard Business Review piece, and it talked about Johnson & Johnson and Robert Wood Johnson back in 1943, sort of laying out the the credo for his company and its responsibilities in this order. And it struck me in a moment like this. He said, patients, doctors, nurses, then customers, then business partners, employees, communities, the environment, natural resources. And then after all of it, stockholders should realize a fair return. What is? What do you think about that in this moment? Well, I think that we need to shift to stakeholder capitalism. We need to realize that when you're in this moment in time, you pivot to looking at your all your key stakeholders. What can I do for my employees? What can I do for my customers? What can I do for my community? Also, what can I do for my government? What can I do for others? This is a moment in time when you're not going to actually man, maximize your EPS. You're going to make investments in your key stakeholders so that you can you know, yield those returns later. If this is not a time to make those investments, I don't know when that time is. My my friend Heather Long uh, at the Washington Post, uh, who's, who's a great reporter and writer there, uh, pointed out in one of her pieces last week that in many ways what may result out of this is that basically the big guys survive, right? And and we've seen so many small businesses closing. Some of them, many of them may, may never open again. University of Chicago says 42% of the jobs lost aren't ever going to come back. And and she wrote this, the result is likely to further shift the balance of power and jobs towards big businesses that have a better chance of surviving the uncertainty in the year ahead by borrowing money or drawing on large cash reserves. What do you think can be done to help the smaller businesses, many of whom are your, your customers? Well, number one, this is why I am so focused on getting us all to reopen safely right now. That's one of the reasons we've been building these new products and services that we call work.com, because we feel whether you're a large business or a small business or even your government, it's time for you now to reopen safely. And whether it's contact tracing, whether it's shift scheduling, whether it's building command centers for uh, CEOs like myself to be able to operate their businesses, this is a really critical moment. I think that, you know, we're getting ready now to start reopening the world. And we have to get this behind us and we have to be ready uh, to move forward. So finally, you've been able to do 
a lot personally with the PPE, right? Um, because of your, your position and your connections and your, your philanthropy. So many people listening feel helpless and they feel like they can't do anything to try to help average folks. What, 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 are, what are your thoughts on that? What people can do that may not be able to get planes and bring over PPE, what, what can they do in this moment? Well, I think every single one of us has to ask, what can we do to help others? And that's kind of what I'm trying to say when I say that every CEO and company needs to ask, what can I just do to serve all of our stakeholders? I mean, that can also be right down to, are you paying your housekeeper, even if your housekeeper is not uh, taking care of your house or your gardener, who's even though your exactly lawn is right. not being mowed? And exactly. I think that that is very important that every one of us has key stakeholders in our lives. It could be our family members. We need to like have that awareness. Who are the key stakeholders in our lives that we're taking care of? You know, we realized that the first phase of this was a crisis. Our initial response to it was keeping people safe and healthy, but we're entering phase two, which is gonna be recovery and reopening safely. And we're all stakeholders in the outcome of this crisis. We, we can't simply go back to the way things were. We need new ways of thinking. We're looking at the world, how we relate to each other, a new set of values. Yeah. We can look at our relationship with the planet. When I look out right now in my window, the sky has never been clearer. I haven't seen so many, so much wildlife uh, here in the city than I have than recently. I hope that we'll take the positive things back as we kind of re-enter uh, the world, that we can remember some of these lessons and take this forward in a, in a positive uh, learning. I think you're right. We can go back to the way it was, but we don't have to. That's something I, I think about a lot. Mark, thank you for your time. I, I appreciate it a lot. Thanks, Poppy. Great talking with you. Thank you so much for being with me today. We're going to take a beat this summer a pause, and work on our next season of Boss Files. We're excited to bring that to you this fall, especially as we face an unprecedented economy. We may pop back into your feeds with some bonus episodes in the meantime. And of course, you can always listen to past episodes of Boss Files, as well as CNN's other original podcasts. One of my favorites is Axe Files, hosted by my friend and colleague, David Axelrod. You can find that and more at cnn.com slash podcasts. Boss Files is a production of CNN Audio. Felicia Patinkin is the senior producer. Raj Makija is the senior manager of production operations. This week's episode was produced by Zach St. Louis, Haley Drasnan, and Rachel Cohn. Nathan Miller is our engineer. And a special thanks to Megan Marcus, Ashley Lusk, Courtney Coop, and Daniel Cantor from CNN Audio. As always, tell me what you think, or just say hi. I'm on social media, at Poppy Harlow CNN. We'll be back soon. Thanks so much for listening. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. 
quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.